Hi, my name's uh, Jamie Waters. And I'm Linda Waters. Together we both pastor the Glasgow Vineyard Church. So, uh, welcome to uh, looking at developing a, a prophetic culture. Uh, the, the goal of this workshop isn't to teach you how to prophesy, but it's actually to teach you how to have a healthy environment where it can grow, it can develop, and it can actually become a culture within your church. So why don't we pray and then we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a speaking God, Father. And we pray, Lord, that, Father, you give us ears to hear, that you develop us as a, a people, Father, who would know your voice intimately. I pray, Father, that our churches would be fertile grounds, Lord, of, you know, hearing your voice, Father, and, and leaning into your direction for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we all know that the, the purpose of prophecy is about exhortation and encouragement, and they're Oh, more volume. Okay. Can't believe you're asking a Scotsman for more volume. Okay. So we all believe. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. There's actually amazing benefits when you see the... <laughs> but louder. Do you want to come forward as well? There are, there are some seats here. Yeah. <clears throat> Why don't we push in and then shut the door? That'll, that'll help a bit more. As I was saying, there are amazing benefits when we see the gift of prophecy become a, a prophetic culture within our churches. And a prophetic culture can positively impact every single area of ministry in the church, as well as in the daily life of every single believer. But in spite of these advantages, many church leaders today, they're often reluctant you know, to encourage prophecy. Why? Because maybe it's the propensity of things to go wrong. You know, I remember one guy quoting me, he says, look, I don't really want to bring prophecy in the church because it feels a little bit like Russian roulette. At some point, someone's going to get hurt, which I, I totally disagree with. I would think prophecy and development as a culture is more like learning to drive. Do you know, it has great potential. You know, if you're a novice, it can be completely dangerous. But when you get some lessons... You know, the benefits are amazing. And some of the benefits, you know, they would include, if I can get this clicker to work. Okay, some of the benefits are, are guidance, you know, and confirmation uh, is really helpful in getting breakthrough in many, many areas. Miracles and healing, intimacy and encounter with God. And it also helps to lead into that cutting edge of evangelism where you're walking down the street, you hear God's voice, and then you speak to someone. Sometimes it's reading their mail. Sometimes it's actually telling them the secrets of their heart. And we've often seen people come to faith through being able to do that. To develop a healthy, safe usage of spiritual gifts, you know, within any congregation, the first thing you need to actually do is establish is a culture. The culture is basically the environment where, or think of it like a greenhouse or a petri dish, if you like, where something can grow healthily that couldn't grow healthily outside of it within, without it. So... I don't think that's coming through, but that was uh, <laughs> a greenhouse, you know, in Scotland, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But what do we exactly mean by this? Prophetic culture. Prophetic culture is not primarily about structures and activities. It's about values and it's also about principles. To be strategic in growing such a culture, it's important to address, you know, the issues of culture before you address the issues of structure. Leaders are by you know, definition, cultural engineers. It behooves the pastors and the leaders of any organization to all be in the same song sheet to develop a healthy culture. So although this seminar is entitled 
developing a healthy prophetic culture in your church, I cannot express deeply enough or strongly enough not to isolate spiritual gifts when you're developing culture. Prophecy should never be an isolated gift from the other gifts. The truth is that many of the gifts will inevitably overlap, so I would encourage you never to develop one in you know, isolation at the expense of the others. The reason why is there's a danger when we actually do this that it can end up unhealthy. It can cause frustration, misunderstanding, miscommunication, and also division. An unhealthy fixation maybe on one set of gifts to the exclusion of the other often results in believers being classified according to their gifting level. And this is clearly not the direction that any church wants to go in. That type of thinking actually violates a fundamental vineyard value and that it reduces those, you know, outside the special core to a group who exist only to receive what the core has actually dispensed to them. So in other words, reliance on special core, you know, you'd be thinking, well, it's their job to actually dispense the special revelations that God gives to us. And what that does is disempower the rest of the body of Christ. You know, we believe that everyone can hear God. And so our goal at the vineyard is to equip the church so that John Wimber famously said everyone can play. That means everyone can participate in the army of God. So no matter what your giftedness, submission to the leadership in a local church is a hallmark of actually being a Christian, whether you've got a gift or not. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about it. First Peter talks about it. So the issue that we are speaking to is not whether a person you know, believes that they're actually a prophet or not. That's basically up to God, but if you've got a healthy culture that exists within your church, then over a period of time it will be proven, it will be recognized within the local church. So in our church, we are deliberately working hard at developing a prophetic kingdom. So weekly, what we see as a result of that is prophecy being fulfilled, words of knowledge given, words of wisdom imparted. We see healings every single week to one degree or another. Monthly, what we see is a steady flow of salvations, uh, and deliverance ministry has increased as well. Yearly, we are seeing a trickle of what I'd say miracles, signs, wonders, and sometimes it's signs that make you wonder. You know, some things were like, we don't really have a grasp on this. So, Linda, could you share just a little bit about um, Uncle Bear? So, I have a, a, an uncle who's an ex-Royal Navy officer who's very... Um, against like church he won't allow you to pray for him and things like that and he would profess to be an atheist but um one time he ended up in the hospital he had a back condition and um we had found out about it so jamie and i had gone to visit my uncle and i was saying to jamie oh, i really want to offer to pray for my uncle and we kind of thought he's probably not going to allow us to pray for him so we were looking for an Oh, we were looking for an opportunity where we could pray for him and I was just about to say to my uncle, oh, would you allow us to pray for you? When in came one of the nurses and she says, that's it, no, sorry, he's, he's really ill, you need to leave. So we were walking along the hospital corridor and I was so disappointed and I was saying to Jamie, oh, I really just felt that if we could have just prayed for him, that, you know, he would have got healed. So a few days later, my eldest sister, who's also a Christian, came um, on the telephone and she says to me, oh, I heard you went to visit Uncle Bert. And I said, yeah, I said, it was so bizarre. I said, we were really wanting to pray for him and I didn't get the chance to pray for him. And she says, but you did pray for him. And I said, 
no, I didn't. I said, I, I wanted to pray for him, but I said, I didn't get the opportunity. And she said, Uncle Bert said that you and Jamie went in to visit him and the nurse had kind of chased you out. But he said, a few minutes later, you went back in on your own and you prayed for him and his back got better. <laughs> Signs that make you wonder. It really is. Was it Linda's angel? You know, again, how does the prophetic kind of impact that kind of thing? So... That only comes, I believe, because we see that right across our church when you start to equip people in a very balanced way. Uh, so with those kind of caveats in place, let us look at some of the, the key indicators that I would look for. If I went to a church and I'm looking for a healthy prophetic culture, there's about seven key things that I would expect to see in it. And the first one is word, a balance of the, the word and actually exercising or stewarding the Holy Spirit. So to grow holistically, a prophetic culture, both word and spirit need to be encompassed so that there's a healthy engagement, you know, with both the Bible and actually the person of the Holy Spirit. People need to understand how to how they interact with each other. You know, sometimes we will need the spirit of wisdom, you know, that Paul talks about in Ephesians to actually bring the revealed word to life with us so we can act upon it. People need to understand how, you know, we balance that together and engage with them. You know, it's great, you know, seeing angels. It's great, you know, hearing from the Lord constantly. But can we balance it against Scripture? Can we ground it in Scripture? So we need the both. Uh, secondly, I would look, and I'm going to try and go through quickly, a sense of discipleship, you know, and accountability. Prophetic culture needs, I would say, to be grounded in a culture of discipleship and accountability, where everyone knows that their primary calling you know, an identity, firstly, is that of a, a disciple. I was in the Royal Engineers for three years, and we were always taught that we were soldiers first and then specialists second. I think the same is true in discipleship. We're disciples first. It's about choosing to follow Jesus' footsteps, so hearing and obeying him is the very heart of the Christian kind of faith. It's discipleship 101. So our particular ministry and gifting should be secondary to that. A discipleship culture is one where we regularly are asking ourselves, what is God saying to me? And then what am I actually going to do, you know, about that? It's also where we're accountable to our leaders about the answers to those two key questions. The third thing I would say is an emphasis, this works, is community. This clicker's not working. So community is your third thing that you would write down. Is it up now? Ah, oh, Fantastic. Prophetic culture needs to be grounded in community. Personally, I think it's a helpful lens through which to view prophetic gifts. If you look at the New Testament model prophecy, you will actually see the true home is a healthy, living, thriving kind of community of God's people. Prophecy is not designed to exist in a vacuum. So the more we practice listening to God together, it's the local of expression of the church you know, it will start to take on this identity of a people that actually hear the shepherd's voice. You know, that we hear, and it's, it's together. It's not that isolated, you know, it's together. So I'd expect our, our children in the, the crash to hear God just as much as I would people who are pastors. So it's got to be right across that that's going to be healthy. Fourth thing I would say, moving on quickly, is identity. Again, this is where people are secure in the love of their Heavenly Father for who they actually are. You know, that they are children of God. They have had a mindset that's transformed or shifted from a poverty mindset to one of, you know, a royal mindset. And it's crucial to understand that exercising authority is actually based on your identity. How you see yourself in God 
will determine how much authority you are able to exercise as a son or a daughter of God. Fifth thing, and, and I think Mike touched on it uh, last night, was expectancy. Uh, so you want to grow this thing. You want it to be thriving. You want it to be a culture. So it's important that we come not only expectant, but actually confident that God will speak to him as, as we ask him. And it's not about a few faith-filled individuals, but it's about a community that expects to hear God's voice with a corporate attitude of expectancy. Too often the reason that we are not seeing the kingdom break in in our midst, you know, in signs and wonders, miracles, etc., is people aren't expecting them to. We realize it's, it's so simple, to be quite honest. We need to put ourselves into a place where we are, we're desperate for God to speak to us. So, so much of what I, I witness in churches that, that aren't growing, you know, in the prophetic or signs and wonders is that, do you know, they're more structurally led than spiritually led. And so we need to address the balance in that. Graham Cook's quote, he says, expectancy is the lifeblood of moving in the spirit. And so we need to readdress the balance if we find that we're out of kilter with that. Sixth thing, I would say it needs to be reproducible. <laughs> One of the things... Uh, that excites me most about the nature of the prophetic is uh, multipliable. It's got to be multipliable. It reproduces itself. And we've got to demystify, you know, what prophets are and how the prophetic actually works if we're going to multiply it. Uh, and we need to create environments where people can get alongside us, imitate us, have a framework in which to thrive and grow. And we need to give people the basic, you know, roadmap for it. So Linda and I, we could stand here and just tell you lots of stories, prophetic breakthrough, hopefully you go, wow, you know, amazing. But that's hopeless when you go away from here. What you need is what's step one, what's step two, what's step three, and how can I get my own stories? You know, you cannot rest on other people's stories. So seventh thing, uh, and this is really important, mission. A mature prophetic culture will always have a strong outward dimension. It sees prophecy as a gift, not just to be kept within the confines of the church walls, but actually as one that is taken outside the church walls to be used effectively as a tool for evangelism in your locale, wherever you go, wherever your sphere of influence is. As we learn to hear and communicate God's will and intention, the Spirit is always directing us out into the world. It's never, ever meant for conferences or just the local church on a Sunday. So as your spiritual hearing becomes clearer, sharper, you will inevitably find yourself, you know, turning towards missional or find yourselves in situations, maybe in the workplace where God starts to speak to you about a colleague. That's the green light for go. That really is for that. So these are seven indicators we, we can take the pulse, as it were, to see how healthy the culture is within your own church. Word and spirit, good balance of that, understanding, discipleship and accountability, community, identity, expectancy, reproducible, and that it has a missional focus, a missional outlet. Um, I'm going to ask Linda to come up and just share about how we've actually broken that down. What are the nuts and bolts that we find in our church that's helping us develop that kind of culture? Sorry, 
So as Jamie says, we are um, going to just show you the journey that we've been on and how we've actually taken um, people to grow in their gift of um, prophecy. Um, one of the um, main complaints we've always heard people saying whenever they've had a, you know, a, a prophetic word, it was so general and it could have been for anybody. So one of the things we were really passionate about was trying to teach our people how to get more accurate and get much more detail in their prophetic words. So we um, began by teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, as Jamie mentioned earlier, we don't want to isolate any of the gifts because they operate best when they're all um, balanced and, and being um, through the body of Christ. As we focused on um, prophecy in particular, we began by just doing some weekend workshops. The benefits and the goals of that is, was that we were teaching the basics of prophecy as well. Um, we obviously understand that prophecy primarily is a gift given by the Holy Spirit. He decides who he's going to dispense these gifts to, as it's taught in you know, 1 Corinthians 12. But we also wanted to teach them that they can eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but especially prophecy, because it's such a benefit to the body. So... This enabled us um, just to ensure right from the start that they had a clear understanding of the role of the prophetic in, the, um, in a relation to the church and the leadership. In other words, it's a supporting role. Um, that they're there to um, you know, assist with the governmental leadership and not to observe it. Quite a lot of people make the mistake thinking that they're the ones that have now to rule because they hear um, from God that they understand what prophecy is and what it equally isn't. In other words, it's there to encourage and comfort other believers. And secondly, it could be for guidance, direction, it can be for prediction, or it can be for the conviction of unbelievers. We wanted them to learn to minister in this gift, firstly, because of their love of Jesus, and secondly, because of their love of people because our motives have to be right as to why they want to operate in this particular gift. So that was one of the things that we wanted to have as a fundamental basis for them. What we also wanted to do was to have them um, then practice what they had been taught. So immediately after we did the workshop, we then got them to divide up into groups of two and three and immediately prophesy over one another. Now, after that, they were then asked to immediately give feedback to one another because we understood it was really important for people to have um, really good feedback there and then to know whether they've been accurate or whether they haven't. We wanted them to learn how to have thick skins and tender hearts and not thick hearts and tender skins. We wanted to teach them to receive constructive criticism so that they won't get, become hurt or offended when somebody didn't agree with what they've given. They also had to learn to realise that people need time to actually pray about and to discern for themselves whether the word that they've received is actually from God or not. Now, in the past, we've seen prophetic people get really hurt because they've misunderstood their role in giving out a prophetic word. For example, prophecies are meant to be orderly and they're controllable. So nobody's standing up in the middle of your sermon and then just declaring a prophetic word and saying they just somehow couldn't um, help themselves. That we wanted to um, 
in order for them to have that, we wanted them to have some basic disciplines and um, we would encourage them to expect uh, what they would expect. Um, we would expect from them, sorry, is that they read and they understand their Bible so that they can weigh and test um, what they hear against the scriptures themselves. It's a self-diagnostic approach so that their revelation doesn't contradict what scripture teaches us before they release it. We have also found that um, we have to teach people who are on the receiving end of prophecy as well as to what to do when they're given a prophetic word. We've found that they have to be able to be responsible to discern if the word is from the Lord or not and to pray about it as to how it may be fulfilled. The following are just some key elements of that. That prophecy is really an invitation to you. It's not a guarantee. That God looks for obedience from you and ignoring his written word or living in sin will probably negate the word that you've been given. So that meant... Uh, uh, sorry... Um, so that would mean that um, they may have to share it with their pastors or their leaders in order to have some help in seeing that the words are fulfilled. That they shouldn't be too quick to dismiss um, a word that's given to them. That they're not to treat prophecy with contempt as it teaches us in 1 Thessalonians 5. That the goal of prophecy is to build, strengthen and encourage them into all that God has for them and in is inviting them into. After that, we wanted to create some opportunities for them to be able to practice um, prophecy. So we created um, some separate meetings where a group of them would meet together and prophesy to one another. They would break up into you know, small groups of two and three. You've probably heard of it yourself. Some people do hot chairs where one person sits and the other two or three people gathered would prophesy to them. And then again, we would ask them open and honest feedback from the recipient. And we'd also get the other team member who was obviously sitting there as well to critique what has been given. Now, this meant that they weren't, if they weren't too sure about any word that's been given, they can ask for some clarity on it, or they could just simply say that it just didn't resonate with, with them. And um, we would also ask the person who's maybe given the, the word some questions in, or in order for them to understand where they've maybe got something wrong. Now, some of the things that they may be influenced by is if you already know the person's personal circumstances, then it may taint what they're actually getting from the person. From, from there, we then thought we needed to start to offer other opportunities other than their small groups or um, in the prophecy group itself. And so we started to invite people to come for prophetic appointments on a Sunday morning. We thought that would be a better challenge in place for people to start to exercise this gift because they wouldn't really know the person that they're going to be praying for. And so that, that would be meaning that they would have a bigger challenge in that. So this helped our guys to have a wee bit more confidence to just step out. Again, it's a, sm a small, safe environment for them to try and give out prophetic words to people who are already in the church and to be able to get um, some criticism or critique back. All the prophecies that we do on a Sunday are recorded and the person receiving the prophecy will get a copy, but I also get a copy as well so that we can listen in 
and see if there's anything that's maybe wrong in it where we can then do some teaching or correction with them. Also, if the person themselves have maybe a major query about it, they can ask the people who actually prophesied for them or come to myself and ask for a bit more clarity of what has been given. In these ways, it gives the person that's received the prophecy a lot of time to actually pray over it, to rehear what has been said because they might not remember everything that was given to them in that. Again, we ask for people to be really brutally honest with us because there's no point in people just smiling and saying, thanks very much, that was very nice. We need to know whether it was accurate or not. Also in that, we think it prevents our people from getting really hurt as well or shocked um, or becoming wounded when they're hearing um, some good um, feedback or negative feedback, that they're um, able to do that. We thought it would be helpful for them as well because it stops them getting crippled or they start to sulk or they become um, bitter when they don't get it fully right. It is so important that people get honest and open feedback in a good way as it helps them to develop in their gifting. Now, we give some guidelines and boundaries for the use of prophetic gifting in our church services. Now, it can be down to each individual church to decide how they wish they would like to do this, but I would recommend that you do have an agreed process for your people in the church, and they should know what they should do when they've got a prophetic word for either someone in your congregation or a word for the church as a whole. And most of how we handle this is just down to good common sense. And it's also coming from our understanding of what the Bible teaches us about prophecy. Prophecy is there to build, strengthen, and encourage other believers. Now, perhaps your congregation could be told to write it down and hand it to one of your leadership team. But I would stress you have to be prepared to give them some feedback. So it would be good if you can appoint somebody in order to do that for them. Now, I think it's really important that people understand the reasons of why we do things the way we do them. Again, this can help them and um, prevent them get from being hurt. We don't want our church services being taken over by a free-for-all and giving out words, but we also don't want to quash what the Holy Spirit is saying or doing either. One of the things we do on a Sunday is um, in order to help with this. Our small groups are on a rota um, in order to help with setting up and setting down and to be on ministry team each Sunday. And they're encouraged to pray throughout the week leading up to the Sunday service in order to ask the Lord for any words of knowledge or any prophecies. They then meet before the church with Jamie um, before the service and they share any words that they may have and also wait on his presence for any other words. This enables us to ensure the quality of the words of knowledge or prophecies that are given because they've already been vetted. The person given them has been given permission to give them out or advised on the best way and how to deliver those words. Also, um, just because sometimes the things that can be given are a bit more sensitive, so it's good to give advice on how to maybe deliver a particular word. One of the things we'd obviously encourage people not to do is to announce individual sins, so there's none of that allowed on a Sunday. Now, this also helps to ensure us that we don't have people we don't know ministering in our church on a Sunday or giving prophetic words without speaking to um, the pastors or the leaders within our church. 
We generally, as a rule, don't allow visitors to minister as they're an unquantity and they may be Satanists coming into the church. So one of the things we think we should probably mention is what about the weird and the wacky? I've heard so many times that, you know, prophetic people get a really bad rap because they're known as being really weird or they dress really funny or they speak in kind of particular ways. And because and that may be down to them thinking perhaps they maybe appear more spiritual or something. But we've often found because of that, that they've been misunderstood by the churches and have experienced a lot of rejection um, by the church as a whole and have become really hurt from that. Again, this just emphasises your needs in order to have um, clear guidelines so as your church knows what to do when they do get a prophetic word. In our experience, it's not been entirely their fault. The fault has sometimes lain with the pastors or the leaders' failure to bring correction and teaching in a very loving way. So when you have someone like that, you need to maybe have a conversation with them sooner rather than later. As you meet with them, you can, it gives you an opportunity to tell them about your protocol of how to go about delivering a prophetic word and what we, you, you in particular, your church, would do that. We had somebody come to us um, who'd been from just church to church and it became apparent that it was due to them thinking that they were just constantly being rejected and had become very hurt. Now, it also came to light that it was how they went about delivering a prophetic word, and that they hadn't had an open and honest conversation with their pastors or their leaders about how they felt rejected or how they felt they had been hurt by the church. Now, the pastors or the leaders may not have tackled them on this or perhaps avoided just having that potential confrontation in the fear of a blowout. Um, so we would recommend that you always, sooner rather than later, have those conversations because you can give them um, direction for that. So they should have loved, you should love your people enough to just have frank and open and conversations about what you believe that the Lord may be, or what they have believed that the Lord is maybe saying. One example we had was um, Jamie during a Sunday service had decided that he would do something different um, from how we normally do things. So he gave very specific instructions to the congregation on what to do. He said to them, absolutely no prophecy. Um, just pray what I'm telling you to pray. And it was about the whole point of his sermon and that was the topic that people were to pray for. Now, it turned out that this person, just like I've described, had uh, decided not to listen. And they went on to give a very negative um, prophetic word to one of our leaders, who also happened to be one of our prophecy team. So he came to Jamie and I after the service and told us what had happened. The word had been a very negative and condemning word, um, and not at all prophetic, as we you know, remember that it should be for comfort, for strength, or to encourage the person. So it just gave us an opportunity to meet with them so that we could chat it through and point out to them how it wasn't actually a prophetic word by just directing them to the Bible. And in so doing, it just reassured them also of our um, love for them. We chatted to them and said, look, you can continue to go from church to church, continue being um, hurt, or you can continue with us and we will teach you um, how to use your gift in the proper way that would benefit you and the church. 
Now, they were really passionate about prophecy, and so we invited them to come along to the prophetic team. They went through the training, and they're now a really integral part of the team and doing exceptionally well in this. One of the things that we wanted to do was to teach our guys how to develop and growing in prophecy. So we have a prophecy group and we meet about every six weeks or so. Now this is a group of people who have a level of prophetic gifting, um, but really want to be encouraged to be pushed to grow in this particular gift. This is not an elitist group and it's not a closed group either. If someone in the church is interested in joining the group, they would usually be referred to me or one of the team and then go through the, the basic training and prophecy. It doesn't matter whether they've been in the church for um, five minutes or whether it's been years. Um, they all have to go through the basic training. This just ensures that we have, um, that they've been taught the basics, but they also have our guidelines and know what boundaries they're operating from. The other thing is, if they're not teachable or they're not correctable and can't submit to the pastors and the leaders, then we just wouldn't allow them to be part of that group. They must already be part of a small group, which means that they're in accountable relationships with one of our leaders. When we meet together, we always, always have a time of um, worship and we always have time to prophesy either for the church, for one another or one of our guests. Other times we may invite someone to come and talk or teach on a subject which to help them to grow as a Christian and therefore potential to grow in their gifting. We've taught on things like expectancy, faith, their identity. We may also recommend some teaching materials for them, so surprised by the voice of God, the ultimate treasure hunt or supernatural ways of royalty, things like that. It's really beneficial for all of our prophetic team to keep meeting together as iron sharpens iron. And this is where we find that it sparks off of one another. When one person starts, it, there's a chain reaction. And we usually find that the Lord is speaking very similar things. It's, we don't want to just settle there either. So we think it's so much more for us to experience as we join together and we're pushing in together. It's why I'm always encouraging our guys to saturate themselves in the scriptures and to prioritize their time with the Lord because that's when they can grow in all of these things. By doing all of this, we've seen a significant increase in their ability to hear from the Lord more accurately and getting more specific um, details each time, which has not just benefited our congregation, but has actually um, benefited other Christians from other churches or organisations who have come for an appointment, as I've heard through the grapevine um, of what we do. Or some have maybe even seen it advertised on the website. One of the things we wanted to obviously do was to up to ante. We're always trying to increase and push our guys for more. Um, one of the times Jamie had been invited by John and Debbie um, to come and um, to their church leadership meeting um, to teach and minister to them. So we thought it would be a really good idea if we um, challenged our guys to get some prophetic words for the team. We hadn't been asked for that, but we just thought it was a good opportunity for them to be stretched a little bit. So all our guys had was the leaders' names they were told not to Google, not to go on the Trent Vineyard's um, website in order so they would have as little detail. They wouldn't know who the people were, what roles they were, and then get some prophetic words for them. 
Obviously, John and Debbie is well known, and so is Nigel. So they would know those people and what their roles were, but the rest of it they didn't know. And the feedback that we got from them from that was that they were so amazed by the accuracy of the words that was given to them. And so that's just one of the ways... I think they, all, they would all say they found it really hard because they had nobody sitting in front of them, nobody to focus on or look at. Um, but they were really surprised in themselves. It's one of the joys we've had is um, just seeing the joy on the people's faces as they're giving out prophetic words and realising just how accurate they've become and also the joy on other people's faces as they realise somebody um, is hearing from God and speaking directly into their lives and encouraging them through that. So I'm just going to... So, hopefully you get in a grip that you've got to be all over this. You know, you can't uh, lead this, you know, from a distance uh, from it. Um, Linda, could you go over to that computer and just click it whenever I, I say, because this clicker's not working. I do apologise for the <laughs> stuff coming up. Could you just move it on a little bit? No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't know what you've done. Okay. Forget it. There we go. Could you... That button there. That's a click. Okay, go. <laughs> One, and one more, and one more. Click, click, click. One more, and one more. Fantastic. <laughs> we're there, we're there. So we would, we would very often have people come to church, and we've got the culture that's trusted, that they'd obviously go up to people, they'd prophesy over them, we'd do it from the front, there's ways. If you want to grow it, you've got to give your people a growth curve. So you've got to know, you know, and, and try and maximise the potential. It's like any athlete, isn't it? You know, you start off at a certain level and you want to increase in levels, etc. Uh, this graph kind of represents starting at simple prophecy, prophetic gifting where it's recognised, prophetic ministry. I call this prophetic ascension. They used to call it prophetic office, but I think sometimes it just confuses people theologically that we have office of prophets today. So let's call it prophetic ascension. And the more you go up, the less it's man's words and it's more of kind of God's words that you're actually hearing. So that's just a simple kind of diagram. But we need to understand that there's, there's different callings in the prophetic. You know, like, have you ever heard about the seer's calling? Seer's calling, okay. So the seer's calling one or two. And, and prophets, so you may ask, what's the difference? What's the difference between a seer and a prophet? Well, all true seers are prophets, but not all prophets are seers, Okay. Uh, perhaps a very simple way to think about it is one is kind of audible, uh, meaning you're receiving a message, you know, you hear the words which you can then repeat or you actually release. The seer's anointing is more visual. Uh, it means you receive, you know, maybe a visual kind of message through some type of picture or kind of moving kind of thing. You know, maybe we could do a workshop on that later, but classically, you know, in the vineyard, we've just kind of, we've taught so much, you know, and We've maybe not, ex, you know, expanded, you know, what the kind of levels are. So classically, you know, we teach you the three elements to a prophetic word. What are they? Revelation. Revelation. Interpretation. What does it mean? An application. Third one. And we kind of stop there. But what about the different dimensions to the gift? What about foretelling and foretelling? What about those two dimensions, you know? Uh, Linda, could you click uh, again for me? 
Prophecies get two dimensions. Think of it as foretelling and foretelling. Foretelling is how most people normally think about prophecy. Foretelling is just the knowing of the, the future. I believe that there's three dimensions actually to foretelling. There's foresight, there's oversight, and there's insight. Okay? I believe prophetic people, you know, move in these three dimensions. Foresight's the ability to see the future. Insight's actually the ability to, to know what is it that's driving this culture or driving the future. And oversight is basically the ability to have spiritual perception to where things lie in relation to each other. Okay? So when I'm talking about people who have good prophetic oversight, I'm not talking about a leader, you know, over a church or someone over, you know, small groups like an overseer you know, etc. I'm talking about the gift of prophecy as an oversight as its dimension. Prophecy is being able to hear and see God. Would you agree? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like God's given the church eyes, a set of eyes. And if I can use these illustrations, you know, as comparisons. So for example, some prophetic people have a, a telescopic, you know, kind of view for an eye. They can see things in the distance. Could you click? Uh, but typically, a person who is prophetic foresight and can see a long way into the future doesn't typically have prophetic insight. Because prophetic insight is more like a, a kind of microscope. Could you click, Linda? It's like having a microscope for an eye, the ability to see things in more detail. Like, have you ever seen your skin under a microscope? It's amazing, isn't it? All these things that live there and kind of crawl. Uh, so does. Sorry? Wash more often, that's what it is, <laughs> personal hygiene. <laughs> so prophetic insight is the ability to see what is driving the motives of the motivations, not necessarily all negative ones. Some of them can be positive. They can look at the heart of what's actually been done and said uh, through this prophetic gift. So if we've got a guy in the church who's amazing at this, this gift, it's like, it's almost like he's got an x-ray machine, you know, or a, or a lie detector uh, per se. So... He will know if someone's worried, he'll know if they're sad, they're angry, they're experiencing loss, or even when they're lying. And it's not body language that he's reading. He sees details of what's maybe recently happened, you know, or what's presently going on in the person's life. Uh, I've seen him, you know, actually sitting in front of a person, and on this outside, this person's relaxed, smiling, a picture of complete tranquility and happiness. And then he starts crying because he sees the pain that they're masking. It's like, he's just got this empathy kind of with him. Sometimes he feels it, sometimes he actually sees it. Oversight, could you click that one? People who have oversight, they're like, have you ever seen one of these drones that go up into the sky and kind of fly about? State agents use it a lot if you're marketing your house now. Uh, and so what they, it's, it's amazing to see where your house is located in relation to everything else around about it, you know, to see it in perspective. So it's one thing to drive around your area and go, oh, the shops are over there, the post box is over there, but we see where it's all in relation to each other. If people can, you know, people with that kind of gift, and they like, they see the big picture of things. Uh, it's like John belongs over here, but he's not really functioning well over there, but if we just put him over here, or, you know, say we want to start a new business to bring life to the city, well, you know, they'll see Emma over here and they'll see Jill over there and they just know instinctively, prophetically, that if we put these two people together, they'll achieve far more than what they could possibly achieve on their own. John Wimber, I believe, was amazing, you know, at this kind of gift. He could walk into churches and tell them what's stopping them from growing, you know, and a lot of the time it would just be restructuring, yeah, so it was. They're able to discern and connect kind of people. What I'd like to do at the, the tail end is to open this up to oversight. So I'm just going to ask some questions. So I, I just want to kind of push through this. Um, in my opinion, there are basically people who have all three dimensions, but it's kind of uncommon. There, there, there are people that have it, but not everybody does. 
because uh, you'll find that what gives you really good insight typically restricts your foresight. But again, it doesn't apply to everyone. I'm just saying that that's the way it is. It's just what we've seen. So if prophecy is about foretelling, i.e. telling the future, it's also about foretelling. Foretelling means you're causing the future. There's a story, I remember we were seeing a guy called Ben Armstrong from Bethel and he was sharing a story with us. Um, and there's about a guy, I think he's called Chris Ballatin, and he was, um, he was ministering at a conference and he seen this guy and picked him out and he said, God's calling you a holy man. He said, you're like one of the old Nazarites, you know, it's described in Numbers chapter six, I think it is. Now the Nazarite name means uh, consecrated and separated where God kind of uses them to display his holiness in their kind of lives and their lifestyle. And he gave this whole prophecy. It lasted for about four or five minutes. But it turns out the guy was as high as a kite and he was a heroin addict. And he's prophesying this to him. But when he gave the word, something happened within him. The Holy Spirit came upon him, delivered him from the addiction, and he was set free. Prophetic word was released. Something changed that caused the future. Do you know what he'd done was he received, you know, what Matthew chapter 10 talks about is the prophet's reward. Uh, again, don't have time to teach into that, but a, a prophetic reward or the prophet's reward is actually the fulfillment of the prophetic word. That's what it actually means. So let me just skip some stuff so we can get into questions. What makes a prophecy a prophecy? Linda, could you click that again? It's when you're speaking to someone. So let's pretend for a minute, could you, you're causing the future, let's pretend that your words are this red line, that's just your natural words, you're giving counsel, you're speaking to someone, okay, so that's your human words are red, but then when the prophetic word starts to come through your human words, could you click, it's red on blue or blue on red, basically think about it in those kind of terms, and the blue is basically called grace, comes in grace. So what makes a prophecy a prophecy is that there's blue on red. So let me give you an example of that. You might be sitting with someone in a conversation over lunch, they're telling you a problem. You start to sense the Spirit of the Lord coming upon you, giving you maybe words of wisdom, prophetic insight, etc. And what happens is your natural words and natural counsel actually is empowered by words of wisdom or prophetic words into the inside. And what's happening is you begin to talk and you offer them counsel and guidance, it's, it's got this weight behind it. So you can give them great counsel, and then you sense that kind of shifts, and then it leads them into something, it releases something in them. Uh, let me give you an example of that. Um, Vineyard Conference, there was a, a pastor, and there was some prophetic people there. The, one of the pastors came up and there was four couples with them and they came up to the prophetic guy and said, look, would you, would you prophesy and pray over my team? You know, I brought my team. And he said, sure, I'd love to. So the first couple come up and uh, he starts to pray and he, he looks to the woman and he says to the woman, you know, he said, I see you, you know, playing the guitar, leading worship, and then she stopped him. She went, well, well no, 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 that's not me. That's not me. That's my husband. My husband's the worship leader of the church. I'm tone deaf, so that can't possibly be. And uh, he says, um, lady, shut up, <laughs> very polite. And he says, do you know what a prophecy is? He said, a prophecy is about telling the future, but it's also both foretelling and foretelling. And if you believe this prophecy, it will give you the ability to do something that you couldn't do before you heard the prophecy. She replies, well, okay, do me again then. So. <laughs> The three main points that he was going to say over us, I see you leading worship, I see you writing songs, 
and I see you playing the guitar. She's like, I don't know how to play the guitar. I said, just bear with me. But she said, okay, I'm going to receive that. So she starts to go home in the car. And then another conference came up, and I think it was about 10 months later, and she sees this prophetic guy, and she goes up to him and says, do you remember me? And he's like, lady, I, I pray for thousands of people. He said, no, I don't. I was the one that you told to shut up. And he went, oh, yeah, I remember you. And then you asked me, you know, if I knew what a prophecy was. Uh, and then he remembered, oh, you were that pastor. You were one of the four couples that came with the team. And she said, yeah, and you told me that I'm going to lead worship, write songs, and play the guitar. And he's like, yeah, I absolutely remember that. And I also told you that I was tone deaf. He said, yeah, I definitely remember. She said, well, soon after I left that meeting, my tone deafness stopped. She said, within three months, I'd learned to play the guitar. She says, I've written several vineyard songs, and I now lead worship in a 500-strong vineyard church on a Sunday. <laughs> so what happened? She got the blue and the red. She got the grace. She got the ability to do that, which she couldn't do one second before she actually heard the prophetic word delivered. Are we getting this? There is so much more to prophecy other than revelation, interpretation, and application. If we want our people to grow in this, we need to create a culture and an environment where they can progress and grow to the different levels. If not, we will cap and we will stunt their growth. That means taking risks. That means hands-on stuff. That means doing all the nuts and bolts that Linda talked you know, about, creating environments where it can flourish, getting in people's faces very nicely, and bringing correction, loving correction, and calling them forward. Not pushing them down, not pushing them to the side, but calling that gift in that God has put in them out of them. This lady walked away. Now, she could have done one or two things. She walked away with expectancy, and God blessed her. Or she could have done what a lot of people do, you know, in prophetic ministry, and gone, he was off his trolley. Doesn't he know what he's talking about? I mean, I'm tone deaf, don't know how to play the guitar. Don't sing at all. She could have done that. And do you know what? She would have remained that way. Or she could approach it positively. She could have done the Romans 12, added faith, you know, to it. Added and accepted the grace. Now, that's just the tip of the iceberg, the prophetic. We don't have time to talk to you about all the different dimensions, how to do it, you know. What about prophetic worship? We've seen, we've seen worship in our church, and the guys just worship. Prophecy comes... No one prays for them, they get healed. Singing to Jesus and they get healed. Singing to Jesus and they get delivered. You've got to expect it. You've got to create an environment. You've got to nurture these things. It's about taking risks. It doesn't shun the person who sees angels everywhere or the weird experiences that we're hearing, you know, that Linda was saying. One of the ones I heard <laughs> just recently. Um, are you ready for this? <laughs> So a guy goes to bed at night and he falls asleep and he has this dream and he's at the pier and there's this girl drowning in the water. She's drowning. And so he jumps in and he rescues her and he brings her back to shore. And then he wakes up and he's soaking in salt water and he's bad. <laughs> and then in the newspaper, lady rescued by a mysterious guy. <laughs> you know. I say that to say this is far more available to you and experience the Lord and the Lord doing things. It sounds a bit like the Bible, huh? <laughs> it's far more open to us if we will pursue this using the seven, see the seven things that I talked at the beginning? That's what keeps us from going off. 
you know, going off and, and, and into things that aren't biblical. That's what keeps us grounded. That's why these things are so important. It takes risk. It doesn't shun the person that sees Christ. Saying the prophet's reward is basically the fulfillment of the prophesied word. As with the reward for righteousness, it requires effort at times to, to receive. We've got to be open to this. If not, do you know what we'll do is we will cap things and we won't experience everything that God actually has us. You ain't seen nothing yet. One of our pastors, the baton, he managed to run with it and continue to see more things. So I'm going to stop there uh, and just, we've only got about 10 minutes left. I just wanted to open up for questions. We're going to do ministry time, but I think it's far easier if you can ask us questions and we can give you answers that you can apply to your life. So anyone get a question? So can I start here and then there? Could you shout out loud so everyone can hear? Get them going, yeah. So, so the word was really, how do you encourage people to engage with this, you know, and, and to take risks and step out? You celebrate the little that you see. You build momentum with that. You celebrate the smallest of the stories, you know, my headache. You start to build on that. You start to not control it. You don't become a funnel. You become a conduit. You know, you, you develop environments where you can give positive feedback, correctional feedback, you know, champion people, build them up you know, for that, and you start to release that. You make it wider than yourself. You, we had some really, we've got some really prophetically people that can read your mail. You know, they, they honestly tell you what you had for breakfast in the morning. We very seldom let them out to the front. <laughs> Why? Because the rest of the church went, that's not where my level of gifting is. I just, and they became, you know, a spectator thing. So now we make every single house group responsible for ministry on a Sunday, and I expect them to get prophetic words of encouragement so everybody gets to play. But they're in countable relationships. I meet with them before the start. You know, we filter it. You know, we help them to say it because sometimes it's long. We get them to narrow it, make it more accurate. So it's just a number of things that you can do to, to do that and to sell it. But expectancy is a big thing. Yeah. Sorry, the lady was wanting a question. How many hours is your basic training? Probably about three hours. It's about three hours. Fred, I just wanted to add to that. Do you actually have the course available that you use? Um, no. No, we're, we're, de <laughs> we're developing a lot of things, and again, we're just looking at how do you, what, what we'd rather do and what we want to do is to make what we are experiencing doing. So some of our guys are writing books, we're writing papers. Uh, and then we want to give it away, but we want to train the people so that we know there's some quality control. So you're a trained trainer, yeah. if you know what I mean. So we'd like to probably do some workshops and mentoring. I, I, I think more's caught than taught. So if I was teaching prophecy, I would do very little of this. I don't feel comfortable with this, but we would do a lot of prophecy. And I'd get you into rooms and we would interact and a lot of interaction. You've got to create those environments, I think, you know, makes it it's far easier. So... You and then yourself, sorry. Could you replicate Absolutely. That's that's everything that we're working towards is to see we really I think 
I want us to be able to, that our youngest can prophesy just, I want, I want our ceiling to be their platform. I really do. I want it to be the whole church. I, I, I just, I, I hate the whole superstar thing. I don't see Jesus kind of doing it. I want to see everybody being able to, to do this with confidence, accurately, and love, you know, and honoring. Sorry, there's a hand up at the back here. Yeah, we, do you know, the, the kids are the easiest. Yeah. I, we, I mean, that's Polly. I mean, the kids need very little training. They hear God far far more accurately in that. So, so our goal is to get the kids out to prophesy over us. For the kids, it's about encouragement. You know, it's about encouragement. You know, so sometimes I think I've got, as Alan's kids used to say when Sophie was young, you know, I've got a word for you, but it might be from Benji the dog as well. <laughs> <laughs> But whenever, whenever she released the word, oh my goodness, the accuracy level was fantastic. So, so kids, I think, is easy. If you you know, really. Yeah. Any other questions? If you, Go for it. Ground Zero, starting off from fresh, uh, taking it that you guys really want to push into this. You know, I, I would count the cost. Uh, will you spend the time and the energy, you know, and create environments into it? Will you alter your church services, you know, to do that? Will you work it through your small groups? We get some basic teaching. You know, there's just a number of little, I think, protocols. That, again, I said at the beginning, values, I think, are far, far more important. The heart behind it's far, far more important, you know, than structure, you know, for that. So, so that's where I would do. It's got to start with leaders that want to do it, and you've got to be consistent. I think if you take your foot off the kingdom pedal, you lose it within about eight weeks. Yeah. You've got to be doing it. You've got to have that expect. Every worship service I go into, I expect God to move. Every time I'm out in the street, you know, whether I'm going to the shops, I expect God to be speaking to me or to be moved. It's positioning yourself and bringing yourself into an alignment, you know, as opposed to something we just go to and, and hope we experience. <clears throat> Sunday morning, I'm up at six o'clock in the morning, worshiping and praying before I even get to the service. So when I get to the service, I'm pumped, I'm ready to go. You know, really ask it. It is that positioning yourself, you know, for it. So, and the, the, the material, there's tons of material out there how to do it. I think a lot of it is, is intention and heart yeah, for it. Yes, could you shout? Very. Sorry. Sorry, I don't know if I heard that right. Was it how do you tell the accuracy between foretelling and foretelling for someone that's starting out? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if it's that you work up to one or the other. The Lord just, some people I find, you know, they're, they're very good at the insight. Some are really good at the oversight. You know, some are great at the foresight. Some find themselves, it's, it's, God doesn't work to a chronological textbook that if you've got through, you know, grade A, you go to grade B. <laughs> That's why people can be very highly gifted, but their character's absolutely lousy. <laughs> do you know, you think, oh, come on, surely they should be sorted out before they do this. It's not the way kind of God actually works. So uh, it's, it's a case, I think, you've just got to look at the global, holistic 
you know, thing and realizing that you may have some really gifted people here, but you need to do a little bit of work over there so that actually the character can sustain the gifting, you know, for that. And as you look at the difference, so if someone was really good at insight, so the guy that's really good at insight that feels things and sees, you know, things, I, I'm kind of encouraging them to actually, you know, so I'm taking away some of his safety structures, you know, for him, some of the things that he's comfortable, you know, so he only likes to go and pray with people. It's when he's up close to him, it's his, like my notes, it's my wee security blanket, you know, for that. So we take him into a different environment. Like, Jamie's going to speak to a group of leaders. Here's their names. You're not allowed to know anything about them. I want prophetic words for each one. You know, what God's saying about the life just now, what he's saying to the future. And by the way, they're then going to sit down and give you feedback on it for that. So again, we're constantly taking people out of their comfort zones, you know, and then that's measuring their accuracy. But it's the feedback. You know, you've got to, that, you've got to work this. You know, it does require feedback for it, whether it's good or bad. You need to hear when you're getting it wrong as much as you need to hear when you're getting it right. Sorry, right up the back. Yeah, we would kind of take that into the, the oversight, you know, so they'll see... Uh, some people, are, you wonder, why are they so really good at business? And they're actually working on a spiritual dimension. God's given them insight, you know. Uh, see, I think there's so much more. I think heaven's solutions are waiting for heaven's people to ask for them. Why is, why is Bill Gates got all the good ideas? <laughs> or Steve Jobs when he was with us. I think heaven has solutions for your community to regenerate your economy, to bring life to your city with scattered servants into every single environment that they go to. And I believe that the problems that you face and, and work, God's got a solution for it if you access it, that actually brings harmony and productivity and makes the place a better place. I believe it's the same answer for the drug dealer in your street, you know, whatever you actually face. It's this whole alignment with the Lord and asking, Lord, what's your heart in this situation? What's your heart for this person? You know, and sometimes the design element will come because God wants us to regenerate business. We're going to bring life to our cities. We need to regenerate our economy. You know, if we're going to regenerate our economy, new business ideas and concepts, how about heavenly ones? Let's <laughs> actually do that. Okay, I can give you some notes that will give you more detail at the end of it as well. So one is actually speaking, you know, into existence. And the other one has the three dimensions, the oversight, the insight, and the foresight. I'll give you... Um, I wouldn't, it's, it's to encourage the church. So I wouldn't put, I think so many people say, if we just have prophets in the church, the church will grow. To quite honestly, I'm not interested in growing a big church. It's not what God's called me to do. God's called me to grow big people. If you grow big people, you have healthy people. And an actual byproduct of health is growth. 
But when you start to put this in place to equal this, when God hasn't designed it, it's like using a, a screwdriver as a chisel, it wasn't designed for that. You know, for that. Remember what the basic function of prophecy is encouragement, edification, building up the body of Christ. It also has an evangelistic effect on it, but I wouldn't put everything on prophecy. Again, that's when we start to think in isolation of the gifts, you know, rather than that. You know, we need to, we need to, probably going to get shot here. We need to revisit the fivefold ministry. We need, where's the evangelists? Now, why are we concentrating always on pastors? Where's my evangelists? Where's my apostles? Where's my sent ones, you know? Prophets, they're, they're coming and going. We, we need it all, you know. And again, I'm not talking about offices, not getting politically incorrect. I'm talking about function. You know, and all these functions are operating, I think the church grows and expands, but not one. Am I getting, like, cut your... One more, sorry. Uh, but my, my friend. Auntie. <laughs> It's a long drive. Yeah. Sorry, I missed the last. I think I've got to close now, guys. I'm sorry we've overrun time. Um, but if, if there's anything we can be more helpful giving you, and we've got such a small time to cram so much in, just grab us over coffee or something, and we'll give you what we've got in any way we can to, to help you. Okay, thank you for coming. Thank you.